Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. We're gathering uh, virtually here for two weeks, so I'm trusting you're really out there in the airwaves somewhere. And uh, we're going to look today uh, once again at the prophet Isaiah. Uh, We've been looking at the uh, book of Emmanuel for this Advent season chapters 7 through 11. Today I want to skip further down in this prophecy to chapter 39, and then we're going to connect that with Luke chapter 2. So follow along as I read. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did these men say? And where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. And then right into chapter 40, this is how it leads off. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, uh, 700 years later, from Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation, that is, for the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, 
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Well, today I want to talk about comfort. That's uh, what Isaiah puts before us. That's what Simeon was looking for. I found over the years that uh, the great uh, uh, oratorio by uh, Handel, uh, the Messiah, has been helpful to me in just reflecting on the meaning of gospel texts. And so as we think about this beautiful verse in Isaiah, let's listen to the, uh, the very opening of the Messiah, which uh, is built around this verse. Isaiah chapter 40, 
and this theme of comfort, which is a theme in the latter part of Isaiah from chapter 40 on. Let's look at uh, just a couple other verses here that pick up this idea. From chapter 51, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Chapter 61, the, uh, the servant Messiah says, The Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn. Do you remember uh, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry uh, when he does that teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount, that the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount uh, reflect this very thought. Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then from chapter 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people. That's the theme. Now, let's uh, recapture the uh, historical background here that we've been working with over the last month or so. Isaiah prophesies just about the same period that Hosea the prophet uh, uh, is bringing his word, uh, prophesies during a time when the great superpower of that age was the kingdom of Assyria to the north and to the east of Jerusalem and uh, Israel. Uh, That is particularly during the period of uh, the reign of King Ahaz. We looked at the Emmanuel prophecy and the the teachings that uh, there is a son who is coming, who is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, and so forth. That all takes place in the, the reign of Ahaz, uh, about the middle of the, the ministry period of Isaiah. Isaiah starts under the reign of King Uzziah. In fact, that's the beginning of his ministry. Todd looked at uh, this passage in Isaiah 6 a number of weeks back. We're told that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had a vision of the Lord in the temple. He heard the Lord saying, uh, who will go? Who will I send? And Isaiah responds, uh, here I am, <coughs> send me. So King <coughs> Uzziah dies in 740. B.C., Uh, that's the beginning of Isaiah's prophesying. He prophesies through the reign of Jotham, and then Uzziah's grandson, Ahaz. It's during the period of Ahaz's reign that the northern kingdom is destroyed, finally, and the people are carried into exile by the Assyrians. 
Now, today we have jumped roughly 30 years to the son of Ahaz, Hezekiah. He's one of the better kings in the history of Judah. And the particular time that we're talking about here when he has visitors from Babylon is right about the year 700. We know that because during that period of illness that Hezekiah experienced, uh, the Lord gave him a promise that he would recover and that he would add 15 years to his life. So if Hezekiah's reign ends in 686, you're right about 700 for the time of his illness and the visit from uh, the representatives of King Baladan uh, from Babylon. <clears throat> so let's think about this new historical situation. Uh, not just Hezekiah's day, but beyond that to what the <clears throat> word of Isaiah uh, anticipates. So the new situation, we've got to think about Hezekiah, grandson or great-grandson of Uzziah, son of Ahaz. <clears throat> he gets sick, recovers miraculously, and then he gets visitors from the land of Babylon. <clears throat> We're told that uh, he was very pleased by this. There's no doubt an element of pride in Hezekiah, that he would be contacted by these distant dignitaries, and they'd send him a gift, uh, no doubt uh, felt like a feather in his cap. And so he shows them around all of his holdings, shows them around the palace, <clears throat> no doubt uh, the temple as well. Here's a picture of of modern-day southeast Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's hilly, and you can see it is to this day a matter of much archaeological interest uh, and diggings. Some of the walls that are exposed here are thought to be actually the original walls of Solomon's palace, which would still be standing in Hezekiah's day. So, this is the area. He would show them around, show them all his wealth. On the top of the hill is the Temple Mount, and you can see the Dome of the, uh, uh, the, dome of the Rock, the Muslim worship site as it is this day. But in that day, it would have uh, been the uh, site of Solomon's Temple. So he shows them everything. And... Uh, then they leave, and Isaiah comes and says, uh, hey, uh, what's going on here? Uh, who are these men? Where are they from? Well, they're from uh, a distant land, from the land of Babylon, far to the uh, east of Judah. And... Uh, the question is, what did you show them? Well, I showed them everything. And Isaiah says, uh, you've made a big mistake. You've made a big mistake because these people will remember what they saw, 
And historically, he's made a big mistake because Babylon will be the center of the next world superpower. Assyria will pass off the scene uh, late in the 7th century, around 612, and by, uh, by about 606, Babylon will be knocking on the doors of Jerusalem. And in fact, just as Isaiah predicts, some of the nobility or children of the nobility will be taken into captivity, into exile in Babylon, and there they will become, Isaiah says, eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So you think of Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. Daniel was part of that initial 606 uh, exile, and, uh, and likely Daniel was a, a eunuch uh, in the palace and service of the king. That's Hezekiah's foolishness. Now, there's something bigger behind this that we need to see, and that is Judah's unfaithfulness. The reason that the Lord will bring Babylon or permit Babylon to come and take over Jerusalem and, and Judah is the continuing unfaithfulness of the people. So, uh, we find, and this is not during Hezekiah's day, he was a pretty good king and did what he could to restore the true worship of the Lord. But in his son's time, uh, the king Manasseh turned out to be one of the worst in the history of Judah. Uh, there is a return to Canaanite Baal worship. There is also the... Uh, <clears throat> the continuing connection with Assyria and uh, the worship of Assyrian deities. So idolatry is the ongoing problem in Judah. Jeremiah, a hundred years later, will say this, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. My people have exchanged the glory of the one living and true God for worthless idols. The result of that will be exile. Babylon will come first in 606, but then finally in 586, 20 years later, their armies will destroy the city, break down the walls and the gates, uh, pillage the city, and uh, destroy the temple, haul the temple worship uh, uh, items off to Babylon, and the people themselves will be forced into exile. Judah's unfaithfulness. And so what Isaiah is pointing to, even though it's a century in the future, is a very dark, dark time for his people. It's a time in which they will need comfort. 
It'll be a time of uh, horrific suffering, and, uh, and the result will be deep, deep sadness, uh, hopelessness, uh, depression, all those things that go with times of, uh, of great difficulty. And so what you have then is this extraordinary transition as you leave chapter 39, the last words being uh, to Hezekiah, there's going to come a day when all these treasures and members of your own household are going to go to Babylon. Uh, Then there is this remarkable change, beginning in chapter 40, which runs all the way through the end of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah which speaks of comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And that is a a theme of such good news, such gospel. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Get up on a high mountain and proclaim the good news that your God is coming. I love the fact that that theme of comfort continues in the New Testament. Uh, Paul can speak of God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God cares about his people, even as sinful people. Even Judah in her unfaithfulness, there is still this desire of God to comfort them, to put away their sin. And that's going to happen uh, at some time in the future, Isaiah doesn't, uh, doesn't know, doesn't give an indication of how long that will be, uh, but uh, however long it is, the striking thing that we find is that through all those centuries that follow, and it's going to be six centuries before the coming of the Messiah, that during all that time, there is the faithful remnant, that small group of people who hold on to these prophecies and believe that God is going to act. And in holding to those prophecies and promises, they find comfort and assurance. So that brings us to Luke and to this man named Simeon. We're told that Simeon was a man who was watching and waiting. And he was watching and waiting, Luke says, for the consolation of Israel. Now what's striking to me is that this word consolation, which we have in most of our versions, is the same Greek word, that the translators of the Old Testament used in Isaiah chapter 40. It's the comfort or the consolation of Israel. This is what Simeon was looking for. Isaiah 66 was one of those verses we read in which God says, uh, as a mother consoles her child, so I will console you. Simeon is looking for that. We've noted previously that that many of the uh, New Testament writers 
look back to the prophecies of Isaiah as a way of framing their understanding of what God was doing in the coming of Jesus. I think Simeon is in the same category. He's watching and waiting, and that means he's listening to the words of the prophets. Surely all the prophets, but this this statement about the consolation of Israel, I think, suggests that just as the New Testament writers following him, he was especially focused on Isaiah's prophecy. It was there that he found comfort and assurance. 600 years they had been waiting for God to comfort his people. They'd been waiting for an end of exile. Theoretically, the exile ended in 70 years. But even at that point, it was very few of the Jews that actually returned to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, And even in in those 600 years, once that group returned, they, they were always under the pressure and oppression of other empires. They never really had an independent existence, whether it was the, the Persians or the Greeks or uh, in Jesus' day, it was the Roman Empire. They always lived as people who were under somebody else's thumb. In that sense, the exile was still ongoing in Simeon's day, in Jesus' day. And he's looking for that consolation. When will it come? He's not only looking for that comfort, but he connects this with the coming of the Lord's Messiah. In other words, with all those prophecies we looked at in Isaiah about a son who would be born, who would be a descendant of great King David, the one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of the Future, Prince of Peace. Simeon says to Mary and to Joseph, this child is one who will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Notice the twofold emphasis on what he sees Jesus doing. There will be light to the Gentiles. There will also be glory to your people, Israel. Where does he get that? Well, he gets it from Isaiah, doesn't he? Uh, We think of uh, Isaiah 9 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. The people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. Or Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This is the child who will be born. This is the one who will bring comfort and consolation to Israel. He will bring an end to their exile. He will bring the forgiveness of sins. That's the announcement in Isaiah 40 that we listen to. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak comfortably to her and announce to her that her warfare is ended, that her sin has been forgiven. 
a faithful remnant. It was there when Jesus came. There were those who were watching, like Simeon or like Anna, who's also spoken of later in that chapter in Luke. And in fact, there has always been a remnant watching and waiting, trusting the promises of God. It's always been there, sometimes very, very small, but nonetheless waiting and watching, as there is today. There is a remnant watching and waiting, not for the fulfillment of the initial promises, but for their completion, when the king who came once will come again. So, comfort, that's what we have before us today. Let's think about a few takeaways from these words. The promises of God are meant for dark times. That's because they are soul-nourishing, they're powerful, they're darkness-dispelling, and they are adequate. Uh, I don't need to tell you that we are currently in some dark times. Not as dark as uh, certainly the days of Isaiah or those following days when Judah went into exile. Not that dark, but dark nonetheless. And many are experiencing uh, darkness within, in their souls, in their minds. Well, God's promises are darkness-dispelling. They're nourishing. They're powerful. They are made for times like this as well. And they are adequate to dispel the darkness because they are true and reliable. That's, that's the conviction of Isaiah. That's the conviction of Simeon, as he talks to God and looks for the coming of the Messiah, so that God eventually says to him, you will not die before you see the initial fulfillment of my promises. His word is true. His promises are reliable. And they're reliable for you and me. Uh, as we face darkness, as we face discouragement, as we wonder when will all of this crazy COVID stuff go away so that we can get back to a more normal life. We hope for a better future. Many people are putting their hope in a vaccine. Uh, I, too, hope we're going to get a vaccine that works, that's powerful. But our hope ultimately does not rest in a vaccine. It doesn't rest in technology. It doesn't rest in our best planning for the future. Our hope as believers rests ultimately in God's promises 
which are powerful and adequate because they're true and they're reliable. But here's the thing. Their power isn't automatic. The darkness doesn't get dispelled. Our souls don't get nourished. We don't find God's promises adequate unless we respond to those promises and fix our hope upon them. If I, if I spend the majority of my time listening to the messages around me in the culture, if I spend too much time listening to news broadcasts and all the speculations about what may happen, then the promises of God seem to grow weaker and weaker within me because my attention is directed not to them but to other things. I try to fix my hope on other circumstances, other messages, and the problem is that those are not usually soul-nourishing and they're not powerful and they're not darkness-dispelling and they're not adequate. So to be a kind of person like Simeon, I've got to be someone who directs my attention to what God says to me in his word. That's obviously the kind of person he was. He was raising that question, when is God going to fulfill his word of comfort? He was listening to the prophets And he did it so intensely and intentionally that God finally says to him by the Spirit, all right, here's something specifically for you. You're not going to die until you see the beginning of what I'm going to do. Well, you and I may not get a special word from the Holy Spirit like Simeon did, But certainly God will speak to our hearts and he will dispel darkness and he will give strength and power to live like his remnant people. No matter what the circumstances are around us, he will allow us to do that if from our side we listen carefully and regularly to what he says. So that's my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself as we move into a new year. Let's, as we sometimes say here, let's pay attention to what we're paying attention to. Simeon paid attention to the right things. I want to do that as we move into this new year. Will you join me in prayer? God our Father, Thank you for these reminders that you are the God of all comfort. You are the God who cared for your people even in a desperate time when they were facing judgment for their sin, yet your fatherly, motherly heart went out to them. You desired only the best for your people, Lord. And we believe that 
that you remain the same. Even today, Lord, you desire the best for us, and you call us to hear and heed your promises, to focus our attention on the Messiah who has come once and who will come again with power and great glory and show himself to all the world to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the father of the future and the prince of peace. Lord, uh, for those of our congregation who may be especially struggling with doubts, darkness, depression, sadness, loneliness, may your word and the power of your spirit bring them encouragement, strength, and peace this day because we ask it in the name of Jesus, who is the Messiah. In his name we pray. Amen.